Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would, uh, grab your Bibles and open up to Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. Great job, band. Thank you all very much. (laughs) And we find ourselves this morning in the first announcement of the greatest gift ever given, the gift of of the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is the announcement. Now, I don't know if you're, this may get me in trouble, but it just kind of popped into my mind. And in fact, this morning, um, I don't know if, if you're like me, but you, if you're scrolling on social media, you're, you're turning on the news, you're reading the news, wherever you're at on your iPad, iPhone, the word that just you're in it, we're inundated with right now is an I word, and it's the word impeachment. It's like all over the place, right? Some, some historic things have happened uh, with our government and our country, and so every way we turn, it seems to be we're reading about this, we're having people explain the implications of this, we're having people commentate on what this is going to mean, what this isn't going to mean, that this really matters, or on the other side, that this doesn't really matter, and it's this big battle all over the place. Well, this morning, as we are going to look at God's word, I think what what the Bible wants us to focus on is we've been focusing on, maybe if you're like me and you've seen these things, the wrong I word. But this season, this Christmas, the word that the Bible wants us to understand, the word that the Lord wants us to understand is incarnation, not impeachment. Incarnation should be on our lips. I long for the day that we open up and we're scrolling the news media and it's talking about the very coming of the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah, and the pervasive impacts that that has on us as a country and as a people, as a society, and as the world, because this is the biggest news that has ever happened in the history of humanity, the incarnation. And so we're going to be in the section where we find... Um, the announcement of the incarnation from the angel Gabriel. We read it this morning. I'm going to quickly read it again, and we're going to jump in uh, this Christmas season. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Those are great words right there. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. No impeachment with this one that's coming, this king. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. The son of of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And listen to what Mary prays right here, these amazing words. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
Listen again, what the angel Gabriel says, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, we may not know a ton of theology. We, might not, not, we may not be a doctrinal experts. But if that's true, if nothing is impossible with God, then this news changes everything for us. See, the most fundamental fact about Christmas and about the incarnation, the incarnation, that word just means that God came to be with us. God came down to be with us to do what we could not do in getting to him, so he came and got us. That's the incarnation. The most fundamental fact about this reality, about Christmas, about the reality and truth of Christmas, is that it comes from God. It comes from God. Listen, an angel was sent from God, it tells us at the very beginning of the story. Christmas, church, has no biblical meaning without God. It's empty. It's hollow. It's Hallmark, which has been on repeat in my house. The same characters, the same story over and over and over again. It's meaning. It's like, what's that? They're on a train this time. They're in a bakery the next time. They're in a Christmas tree farm the next time. And it's the same story. It's like, and every time I come in, it's at the very end and two people kiss and they live happily ever. What is going on here? Christmas has no meaning without God. Which Hallmark would call me. It has an American meaning without God, that's for sure. It has a Hallmark meaning without God, that's for sure. It has a European meaning without God. It even, uh, I was told recently, has a Buddhist meaning without God. But it does not have a historically true meaning or a biblical meaning without God. Christmas is about the creator of the universe moving into creation to save it. Christmas is about something God initiated. We didn't have to find him. We didn't have to coerce him. We didn't have to convince him. God started something. God initiated, and we see it clearly right out of the gate. Only God can do this. And so as we read this account of the announcement of the incarnation of God, the coming of God to earth, one of the most striking things we see in this entire Christmas story is, in fact, where it begins. This is an amazing fact, the the location of where it begins. Now, Josh touched on this a few weeks ago in our very first Advent series when he was walking through some prophetic verses that the prophet Isaiah gives us. (coughs) And it's quoted again right here as a fulfillment of that very prophecy. Now, what's significant about where this story begins? Why is that a big deal? Well, if you were going to associate yourself with a certain place, right? A lot of us kind of have, this is a very common question when we meet someone new. It's like when you're having the airport or the airplane chatter, oh, where are you from? And, you know, we talk about, oh, I'm from this town and I loved it. It was so great. We talk about where we were from or it was like, oh, I was from this town. I couldn't wait to get out of there. It was like, it was going nowhere and I had big dreams and I had to get out of that place as quickly as I could. Or some of us have come back to where we were from, right? So places of where we're from have significant meaning to us. They carry an identity, so to speak, right? For example, I was thinking about this. If you're from Houston, you're kind of maybe viewed a little bit more down to earth as far as in Texas terms. You maybe wear cowboy boots rather than wingtips. 
you uh, probably drive a truck or your goal is to get a big diesel truck or something like that and get a big oil job. If you're from Dallas, you drive a Tesla, you wear wingtips, it's a little bit more flashy. I'm, I'm generalizing here. I'm going to get myself in trouble, right? Um, I'm from Michigan, and so everyone thinks if you're from Michigan, everyone does this. I'm from right here, but no, I, growing up, we never did that. That was not a thing. It's the mitten, in case you were wondering what we were doing. We have, and from Austin, right? Austin, you've embraced this. We're weird, right? Keep Austin weird. Uh, we don't wear shoes at all. We're kind of hippie. We eat granola. We grow our own food. We're all about the environment. And uh, we don't like Dallas or Houston in general if you're from Austin. It's like, stay out. You're ruining our lives here in our weird bubble. Just ask Zach. That's where he's from. <laughs> Right? Every, a place kind of has a lot of meaning wrapped up in it, doesn't it? The, the, the beginnings of stories, the origin of stories have tremendous meaning. And in ancient times, it was the very same way. It was no different. If you were from Jerusalem, you were a great religious person. Oh, Jerusalem, wow. If you were from Athens, you were considered an academic. You were probably brilliant. You were Ivy League. You're like, oh, wow, what a, a, a philosophical person, a great mind. If you were from Rome, you were viewed as a powerful, mighty person. You have the entire backing of the Roman army, the great might of the world. But here, we're not given any of those towns. The very beginning of the incarnation of the God of the universe coming to earth, we're given this, Nazareth. The name on the cross at the end of the story is Jesus of Nazareth. The name at the tomb where the angel is, is are you seeking Jesus of Nazareth? You will not find the living among the dead, the angel says to those women that visited that tomb long ago. He is not here. Jesus of Nazareth, look at verse 26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, from God again, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Why is this important? What is Nazareth all about? What are they known for? Why Galilee? What is this all about? Galilee and Nazareth. Well, in history, the foreign invaders that are all in that region <clears throat> that were constantly having <clears throat> infighting and impact in that area were historically the Babylonians and the Assyrians off to the east. Everyone was always wanting to conquer each other's land, take over each other's cities and towns, enslave their other people, gain wealth, gain power, gain land. It was just, that was, it was a conquering time then. Good thing things have changed so much now, right? So they mostly wanted to overthrow Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a city of influence and power. But there was one problem with the Assyrians and the Babylonians trying to get to this place. There was an uncrossable desert that they could not cross. If they would have marched their troops, if they would have packed up uh, their wagons, if they would have loaded their soldiers down with armor and gear, they would have all perished crossing this impassable desert. No resources, hot, dry, impassable desert to get to Jerusalem. And so what happened? They always approached going around the impassable desert, right up north, directly down to Jerusalem to get to these important places to overthrow them. And one of the very first places they would always hit 
was a region called Galilee, and they would cross through the city of Nazareth, a war-torn town, constantly being hit by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. Uh, Their people were known as people who were attacked, enslaved, oppressed, Galilee was a despised place. No one wanted to be from Galilee. No one wanted to be from Nazareth. It was irreligious. There was Roman garrisons that were set up there to protect this place. There was war. There was strife. There was conflict. It was, in my mind, I imagine like almost post-apocalyptic type scenarios happening here because it was constantly under attack. There was constantly an uncertainty about what was going to take place and happen the next day, the next week? Would my family be okay? This was not a place where you longed to raise your children. It was dangerous. No one was proud to be from Galilee. That's why the prophet Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before the birth of Christ. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephetali, But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea. There's a sea by Galilee. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Listen to this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. These people knew darkness. They knew hardship. They knew oppression. He goes on. The people who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has come. So not only was Jesus from Galilee, but he was from the city of Nazareth. It was a despise, it was no nothing, it was it was it was in fact there was a there was a saying in the days of Jesus that went something like this. When you when you heard of the town that was brought up, Nazareth, it was it was kind of like can anything good come from Nazareth? It was like, certainly nothing good can come from Nazareth. And we have that very saying, that little almost proverb-like negative thought show up in the New Testament because um, we've, got, we've got this saying, when Philip, the first disciples, came upon Jesus, Philip went to Nathaniel, and this is what he said when he said he found Jesus, when he found the Messiah, Philip went to Nathanael at the calling of the first disciples when he's going to tell his friends who he had found. He said, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth, of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And Nathanael, quoting this famous saying, it's right there in the scriptures, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Meaning, Whoever the Messiah is going to be, whoever the savior of the world is going to be, he for sure isn't going to come from Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Impossible. Now, why does all this matter? Why does that little history lesson matter? This is significant, church. Jesus did not first go to a place of power. He went to a place of weakness. He went to a despised place. He went to a place uh, of deep darkness, the scriptures tell us, a place without a lot of hope, a place with a lot of uncertainty, a place where no one could really hang their hats and say, look at me, I'm from this, God, you owe me this. He went to the very opposite of that place, a lowly place to be from. 
And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're in here this morning and you feel weak. You maybe even feel sinful. You feel forgotten about. You feel overlooked. If that's you, then Jesus has come for you. That's the beauty of Christmas. Because he's not Jesus of Athens. He is not Jesus of Jerusalem. He is not Jesus of Rome. He's Jesus of the sinful, despised, forgotten ones. Jesus of Nazareth. And so, take hope this morning, church. Um, The Christmas story is not a story of just pretty wrapping paper. The Christmas story is not just holiday flash sales and um, unexpected two-day shipping turns into three-day shipping and we're all freaking out. (laughs) Or the notification that it was delivered, but it's not there, and where is it? Good luck. It's the story of the great light coming into the darkest of places to shine. Where no light has shone for a very long time, light breaks forth. Christmas declares that the light of God can shine in the very darkest of places. Why? We read it. Because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. God's light can shine even in the darkness of our own sin. The gospel, this good news, is for broken people. Not perfect people. And then we read about Mary, verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Church, if you look at yourself, you think of yourself, you're wondering about yourself, and you're like, listen, that's all good and great, but God can't use me. That's great for Mary. I mean, that's the, that's the Virgin Mary. It's like, geez, like I'm, that's not me. I'm, I'm just a person. I don't, I've, I'm kind of messed up. I've got, I don't have a lot to contribute. I don't have a lot of assets. I don't have a lot. In fact, I got a lot of baggage, and I got a lot of stuff behind me that I carry into this situation that no one even knows about. Surely God doesn't want to use me. I think Mary could have said the very same things. She was not a rising star in the who's who of the ancient world. Uh, Mary was a face in the crowd. Luke has to specifically tell us who she was. It wasn't assumed that everyone knew who the angel was going to. He says, and the virgin's name was Mary. He has to inform us. No one knew. And Luke has to tell us where she lived a city of Galilee named Nazareth. She's not from Rome. She's from Nazareth, a town so obscure it is never mentioned in the Old Testament. No greatness had ever come from this place at all. God has bypassed the top people, the cool places, and he went down to a nobody a face in the crowd from a nowhere town to prove this. Catch this. Salvation is by no man's power. It's from God. This child is sent from God. Only God could write this story. Only God could do this. And Mary understood that. That through this baby to be born, 
born of a lowly woman in a lowly town, the world would be flipped upside down. Salvation will come through this royal son to be born. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what Christmas is all about. Nothing is impossible with God. So the Bible, the story of Christmas, is all about God's unlikely strategy to use weak people for his glory in this hard, kind of crazy, dark, broken world that we live in. To do what? To shine his light all the more. To make his goodness shine. And look at how Mary responds to the angel in verse 38. These are beautiful words. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary just said to the Lord, all right, God, my life's yours. Uh, My reputation with my friends, my plans with Joseph, my fiance, my idea of how my life was going to go. The things I imagined myself doing and this new marriage that I was so hopeful about and what everyone was going to think of me. She says, God, I just give it to you. I'll give it all over to you. Mary's response is this. Catch this, church. This is huge. I'd rather serve your purposes, God. I'd rather serve your purpose for me than my own purpose for me. Your plans trump my plans. I embrace and I desire your plan. So she says, let it be done according to your word, God. Your way, God. God, your ways are better than my ways. And she essentially knows in this moment with that prayer that was prayed that this is the greatest moment of her life where she was going to be completely open to God's leading despite with the voices and with the stares and what people may think of her and even her own plans for her own life because this would radically alter the course of her life forever and ever and ever. She says, follow in your way, God. I yield my life to your glory and your purpose. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me because of this boy to be born that you've just told me about. It's probably going to be the most difficult and yet most amazing and beautiful thing that I could ever yield my life to. But she says, God, I'm your servant. God, I want to follow your way. I'll bend my knee to you, God, because you're better. You're good. You know better than me. I'm your servant. Let it be according to your way. And this little prayer right here, I don't know if you've If you underline things, you write things down, I'd encourage you to underline it, to remember it this Christmas. This may be the most important personal prayer in the entire Bible. She's saying this, for Jesus, for his renown, for his glory, for his namesake, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, God. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever said that to the Lord? That's a bold, frightening, beautiful, good, 
God-sized prayer. I am your servant, God. Let it be to me according to your way, according to your plan. That's a big prayer. I'd encourage you this Christmas to pray those prayers, to pray those God-sized prayers. Yes, I have my plans, but you know what I need even more, God. Yes, I have my way that I think it's going to go, but God, I want to yield my life to where you're calling and leading. So God, impress upon me your way and help me say, Lord, I'm your servant for the name and renown of Jesus, this baby that was born 2,000 years ago that shone the light of the goodness of God in the very darkest of places. He has shown his light in me, so God, now your way is my way. Let me cling to you. Let me have you this Christmas. And I know I don't deserve it, God. Can you pray that? I know I don't deserve it, God. I know it's crazy. I know it's an audacious prayer, but I want to be used by you. Fueled by your love, by your grace, for your glory. That's a beautiful prayer. Let's pray that together this morning. Let's pray, church. God, I just, I ask this morning that you would give us that heart that was given that very first Christmas to a nameless woman in Nazareth, God, that you came to, that you initiated. And you told her some wonderful news, some life-changing news, some earth-shattering news that would uproot her plans that would alter her course. And Lord, she prayed, Lord, I'm your servant. For this boy, Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, the one who will take away our sins, the one who will be high and lifted up, God, I am your servant for this one, for his name, for his renown. God, I just pray that you'd give us those hearts. And maybe if you're brave enough this morning, would you pray this prayer along with Mary that was prayed 2,000 years ago? Behold, Lord, I'm your servant. God, I lay down my plans for your plan. I lay down my agenda for your agenda for me. Lord, help me hear clearly where you're calling what you're asking of me. And let it be to me according to your word, God, according to your way, that Jesus would be exalted, would be magnified, would be made much of because of my life. God, I pray that you would do that in each one of us this Christmas season. God, I pray that for those of us with families and children and grandparents that we would be able to tell of this great prayer and we would pray it together this Christmas that you would do mighty works in our midst for your name's sake, for our good, for your glory this Christmas. We thank you for the incarnation that love came down and rescued us, saved us, the undeserving. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship in church.